Good morning, church. It is wonderful to be with you. I always love that video every year. I saw something in there that was really important for us to remember. Anytime you have rolls, that's the way it's supposed to be done. Did you notice they used paint brushes of butter? That's the way to do rolls anytime. Or there were some that were baptized in glaze. Either one is acceptable. All future potlucks, just keep that in mind. Good to be with you guys here. We are uh, wrapping up a little mini-series we're starting at the beginning of this semester and ministry year. And as you know from the announcements, next week's going to be a special week. We have our friend David Fraze that's going to come in and, and share some things with us. Part of what he'll do after a church is really targeted to our, our parents and our children. But what he's going to speak on here, both in Bible class and in this church time, is really um, a kind of a vision that speaks right into the central mission of this church. It's central to this church, as you can see, for us to be intergenerational in our ministry. And I love the image that he gives us to say we want our faith and our spiritual life to stick with us throughout all the ups and downs in our lives. And he's going to speak to that and give us some, some tools that we're going to come back to for the rest of, really, this semester and for the rest of the year. Also give you a sense of a map after that. We're finishing this series today. He's doing that. And then after that, I'll be taking us through the empowerment of the series we talked about right now in this glorious gift of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to study the Holy Spirit in the book of John. So if you like to read ahead, it's a great book. Uh, take a look at that. So we're, we're finishing up this series we call Come and See. And we just, we thought about this at the beginning of a, of a new ministry year to let Jesus speak for himself. Just hear these invitations of Jesus because how often is it true in our lives? I, I know for me, there are times in my life I've responded to what I thought God was about or I thought Jesus was all about. And instead, I want to come to Jesus afresh and anew and say, what is it that you're really offering? What are the invitations that you're giving us for the lifetime that, he's, that you're walking with us in this time? And the first week, we really started with the title of the series, John chapter 1, where Jesus says, come and see. Experience when you encounter me, and not just ideas about me, are Jesus' words, greater things than these, greater things than you can imagine. And last week, we looked at Jesus's Incredible invitation to come and rest, not passively, but actively, to come in not to a religion that burdens you, but to the yoke, yes, but that liberates, that actually takes burdens off and leads us into delight. And then today, I want to look at what I consider to be really the heart of the invitation of Jesus. It really speaks into the vision of our church here. So if you have your Bibles, your devices, we're going to be reading in Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 17. Would you please stand out of respect for God as we hear the word of God? This will be Mark 10, 17 through 31. And Joel, you can put the next screen up. When I'm done, I will, I will say uh, this is the word of the Lord, and, and we will all say thanks be to God. That will be a, we've got a screen for that. Uh, it's just our posture to say we are grateful that God actually reveals God's self to us. It's the Gospel of the Lord, Mark 17, uh, 10, 17. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You, will, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a young boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. 
Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed, and they said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. And Peter spoke up, We've left everything to follow you. Truly, I tell you, Jesus replied, No one who has left home or brothers or sister or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and fields, along with persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Would you pray with me? Father God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I don't know if you think about it this way, but I'm convinced that you don't have to live life very long before you get these recordings inside of you. There's these kind of sense of sayings or thoughts or whatever, these recordings that are really inside the center of your being. Often we'll hear things, maybe it's a parent that says it, or maybe it's a church setting or some authority figure will say something and it sticks with us. And often those little recordings are good and we also know there's sometimes, even with the best of intentions, sometimes those recordings get inside of our being and they're not right and they're not helpful. I think about one of the key recordings that has affected my life, probably even surely till this day. I think about the first sermon that I ever heard. And I say that, and you know, I grew up in church. Probably the first place I ever went was to a church building outside of the house. You might think, how in the world do you remember the first sermon? No, don't misunderstand me. I'm not talking about the first sermon I was present for. I mean, the first sermon I ever actually heard. (laughs) There was a guy that would come. In fact, he was kind of well-known in Churches of Christ. And so I suspect if I said his name, some of you would know him. But he he was not the regular preacher. I know we often, you don't hear us, so I'm going to bring David in so you'll listen to him. But he, he, he came and he would speak regularly. He would come from time to time. There were a couple things I really appreciated about him. First of all, he loved to make the story of God come alive. Not that you have to do that. It's already alive. But he would get out of the way and he would let us see it often. And he would use visuals even before PowerPoint. He would use some visual aids at times. It was interesting. I was thinking about this last week. We talked about a yoke and he gave an example. He put a yoke on his back, the bad kind. Go back and listen to last week. There's a good kind too. But he, would, he broke this yoke in front of people. Of course, he cut it before, but it was cool to do that. And, and one time, I, I remember right up here on the front row, he got this big metal trash can. Unfortunately, I don't remember the point, which is the problem with visual sometimes. You remember what they did, but not what he was intending. But anyway, he had this big trash can, and he broke this glass bottle in it. And it was so funny because there was a lady sitting on the front row, and she'd fallen asleep, and he broke it, and she jumped up ready for the closing song. It was awesome. But the one that I remember and recorded in my soul It was related to one of the other things I loved about him. He would engage our young people all the time. Like he would send that message, which is true. You are our church, not the future of our church, your product. 
And he brought me up front. In the days when our mic still had cords, and he had a microphone stand there, and he drew a line on the floor with the microphone cord. Can you picture it? And I was standing on one side, and he was standing on the other. I was about eight, I think. And he proceeded to ask me questions. And the, the way I think about it in my mind, I remember Rick Warren talking one time about the top ten list of sins. Most churches have some version of them. He talked about when he was a kid, uh, his parents of boys would often say it this way. Don't drink, don't cuss, don't smoke, don't chew, and don't run around with girls who do. But, you know, there are these expectations and rules of the things you don't do. And somehow that was his engagement. He had this conversation. I'm standing on this side of the line. He's standing on this side of the line. I'm eight. And he's asking me, have you drank? And if you don't, you go down the list. No, no, no. Not that I would tell if I did. But I didn't at that point in time. And this is the part that I remember. Listen, he's a good man, great preacher. But sometimes the enemy can use well-intentioned things and twist it a little way. So I'm just, I'm not picking on him, but I'm just saying this was a recording that got in my soul. This is what he said. He said, you haven't done any of those things, so I want you to come with me on this side of the line. And can you guess what he said next? I want you to stay on this side of the line, because if you cross that line, can you guess what he said? You can never come back. Now, looking back, maybe what he was talking about, there are consequences of the choice we make, and that's true. But as an eight-year-old little, little boy, that recording got in my soul. Don't cross the line of thou shalt nots, because if you do, you can't come back. And I want you to know, my entire life growing up in church, I tried as a little boy all the way through high school to stay on that side of the line. I tried, and listen, I wasn't perfect, but I will tell you, I was a good religious boy. I remember in junior high, I think it was... The preacher wrote a bulletin article about, about me, and the title of it was Faithfulness. And the reason he said that is because I skipped a baseball game on a Wednesday night or a practice on a Wednesday night in order to come to church, and he wrote about my faithfulness. I heard that in my mind. Here's what it means to be faithful. You show up. I, I remember all through my high school years, especially the last two years of high school, I was the designated driver for my buddy Steve, and we would go to parties, and I wouldn't drink. And Steve would often pick on me. He would you know, pick on me for being the Christian and not doing certain things and all that kind of stuff. And then he'd drink a little bit, a little bit more, and then he'd tell me the truth. And he's, you know, kind of a little impaired. And he would say, man, I respect you so much. And he would tell me all that. I was a good religious boy all the way through high school. Never touched a drop. I'm not saying anything about the rules. I'm just saying that was the rule I got. And I, and I did it. I remember my senior year. I was getting ready, it was a week before prom, and I went out with my soon-to-be prom date. By the way, the rule in our family, some, the line was, you don't go to dances. My mom's line was, the problem isn't the dance, it's what... And it was a week before, and I remember, went back to her house, and there was nobody there. And I remember we started enjoying a little bit of romantic connection, and then I, I realized, hold on, this is a little too romantic, and I, I literally stood up, said, I care about you so much, gave her a kiss, I said... I want to protect your integrity. I want to protect my integrity. I got in the car and drove home. Took a cold shower, but I drove home. I was a good religious boy all the way through high school. I actually graduated, and I don't know if you all have kind of a 
community ritual. We grew up in Virginia near the East Coast, and so in our high school, when you graduated high school, the thing to do was to go on a trip to Ocean City, Maryland for Beach Week. My friend Steve was organizing. He was driving. We were in the car. We're driving up to Beach Week for the week, and, uh, and Steve said to me, you made it all the way through the high school. You never took a drop of alcohol. He said, I'm going to lock you in a room if I have to. You're going to take a drink on this weekend. I said, no, I'm not. We got up there, and I still remember the day we were going around, and we came up to a party that was happening, and I remember in the kitchen, there was one of those kind of long kitchen bars, and I was sitting in there, and they were playing some drinking games, and I was there with my buddy Ron, and Ron was my non-drinking partner that we would go to parties with. <laughs> he was an athlete, didn't want to mess up his body, all that kind of stuff, and so we were there, and I'll never forget this, Ron was standing there, and they handed a beer to him, and Ron took it. And I was just my immaturity, my weakness, but I'm just telling you, I don't know if you've ever had a moment where you felt like you were absolutely alone on planet Earth. Everybody's partying, everybody's doing it, and I grew up in a setting where I know everybody does it, but I'm the guy that doesn't, but at least I had my partner Ron with me, and all of a sudden Ron grabbed it, and he's there, and I felt so alone. Now, it had nothing to do with Ron. By the way, what I've learned is nobody there really cared one way or another, but I did, and when Ron took it, so did I. And you understand what happened in that moment based on where I had come from. What happened in that moment, I took that drink and I took more than one drink. Do you understand what happened? What, had ha- what happened? I crossed that line and somewhere deep inside my soul, guess what I heard? You never come back. By the way, can I tell you, it's a horrible time to have that experience right before you go to college. Because I didn't come back. You've heard me talk about it generally. I do that almost every year when I'm talking to you guys for the reason I'm telling you. This is a really personal story of Scripture for me because I lived it. Didn't come back. And I was all in the party. I love partying. The only time I came to church, I think I mentioned this before, I came the first Sunday because mom was there. And we laughed about it later on, but a buddy of mine, it was was an adult there uh, named Ralph, agreed to pick me up every Sunday morning. And he drove outside my door and waited And he waited a long time, then drove to church because I never went out there. And they would call me from the campus ministry every week. And they would invite me to devotionals and to events they were doing. And sometimes I would ignore them. Sometimes I would be smart aleck and I would blow them off. And that's what happened for the first couple months of my senior year. Why? Because I heard the message. I crossed the line. I can't come back. What I love so much about this story is I see the heart of the invitation of Jesus working with someone who has had an experience of life that is so true and and like a lot of us. Here's a way to think about it. When this young man shows up to encounter Jesus, he shows up and he's missing something. He is missing it big time. Now, he's a good guy. He's an influential guy, but he's missing it. You can put the next slide up. Sometimes we all, we just, we miss what's most centrally important. Understand this, when you put the three different stories, this story occurs in all three Gospels. Here it says he's a wealthy man. In another one of the Gospels, it says he is an influential man. He's a powerful man. He's a ruler. And elsewhere, it says he's a young man. You put all those together. Here's a guy who's strong, he's powerful, he's significant in his community. But the thing that you see from the beginning of the story is he's missing something fundamentally important. Comes to Jesus right off the bat, and part of what you see, did you catch it at the beginning? What does it say? Here's his question. It was the wrong question. I think we mentioned this before in the past, but hear this. What was his question? 
What must I do to inherit eternal life? What's he missing here? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Let's think about this for a moment. You you don't have to be a lawyer to figure this out. What do you do to inherit anything? It's a trick question, by the way. What do you do to inherit anything? I love talking. I know it's a big crowd, but you can talk. Nothing. (laughs) You exist. (laughs) You happen to exist. Now listen to this. You don't have to be a preacher or theologian to figure this connection out. What do you do? You exist in belonging and connection with someone who loves you who has died. (laughs) That's what you do to inherit eternal life. So he's starting with the wrong question from the very beginning. What do I have to do for this? Now listen, don't hear him as an evil guy. Hear him as that person who's trying with everything in his power and being to stay on this side of the line. What do I got to do? Second thing I notice, what is he missing? He's got the wrong goal here, right? Because what is he asking? He's asking something that I think throughout human history, people keep trying to ask this of God. You know what he's asking for? Give me the list. Can you give me the list of stuff that I got to do to be in the right relationship and connection with you? Please give me the list. These people over here have this a list, and the Muslims have a different list, and this church has a different list. Give me the list that matters. He comes to Jesus and asks for that. We'll expand on this more in a moment, but Jesus makes it clear here, and in everything we've talked about before, it's not about a list, it's about a life. But there's something in human beings that wants to turn this connection and belonging and relationship with Jesus into a list and a religion. And Jesus says, I didn't come here to offer you religion. Love the way a little tiny book Don Don Everett writes. He said, Jesus wasn't a Christian and he didn't come to start a new religion. (laughs) He wasn't a Christian. He didn't check a little religious preference box and he didn't come to start a new religion. He came to offer us a way of life. He's asking the wrong goal. Now, I think about this, there is something, he's still missing it, but there's something that I love about this guy and something that puts him in the right posture to actually hear the invitation that we'll get to in a moment. What is it that's right about this guy? Well, at least he's willing to admit that he's missing it. Did you know this? Like, he doesn't know even what he's missing, but at least he's willing. You see it in his posture, and in a different telling of the story, I think Matthew's telling the story, you see it actually in his words. But notice the posture. See this story. What's the first thing this guy does? Did you see that? What does he do at the beginning of the story? He runs and he falls on his knees in front of Jesus. This is a powerful, wealthy, significant religious man. And he desperately runs to Jesus and he falls on his knees. That is a posture that admits you've got something that I can't produce on my own. And I'm telling you, that posture is the posture that opens us up the incredible invitations of Jesus. He's willing to admit, I can't do this on my own. Jesus will go on to say one thing, and there's a very important word that he uses here. In Matthew's telling of the story, um, the man says that word first. He says, what do I still lack? He knows from his body and from his mouth, I'm missing something, I'm lacking something. There's something missing inside of me. Now listen, In order to grasp this story, for years I missed the real punch and the impact of the story. Because here's the way I would teach it. I would often say, oh, this is a guy who thinks he's religious, but he's totally, he's a terrible guy. Like he's blowing it in his life and all that. Here's the way to think about it. 
What do you do with verse 20? How you read verse 20 in this passage in Mark 10 will determine the whole sense of the punch of the passage. What do you do with verse 20? Here's what he says, verse 20. Jesus, astoundingly, by the way, gives him a list. He asks for a list, and Jesus says a really good one in the Old Testament, and he starts talking about the commandments. Jesus is doing something there. It's a subject of another study, but he starts there. He doesn't start with repent and be baptized. He gives him a list. If you want to go into life, God's given you the guidance to live your life, and he lists some of the commands. What do you do with verse 20? This is what the young man says. All these commands I've kept since I was a young boy. Here's my question. Do you believe him? Now, I'll tell you, most of my life, I would say, no, I don't believe him because we've all sinned, fall short of the glory of God, and he's just deceived in this. I'm telling you, the whole story goes upside down if we don't recognize that he meant it when he said it, and I think he's largely telling the truth. Perfectly no, that's not what he's talking about. But he said, I've been on this side of the line my whole life, Jesus. You gave me some rules, and I stay. I'm following the rules. Listen, the story's impact comes from the fact this is not like a hypocrite. He's a good religious man who's been following the rules. But there's something still inside of him that gets the one thing that I have to keep coming back to Jesus and say, keep reminding me of this, keep reminding me of this. I beg anybody that I ever share the gospel with, whether you've been following Jesus for 80 years or five minutes or not at all, here's the thing. God puts in the human heart a longing for more than this world can provide and a longing for more than you are able to produce on your own. And the people that receive the invitation of Jesus are willing to admit that and say, I can't do it. Jesus stirs up that hunger in these, this young man's heart. At least he's willing to admit that he can't do it. In this moment, one of the things I love when he comes to Jesus and he's missing it all over the place is watch, just watch Jesus, how he gently redirects this guy, going the wrong way, gently redirects him back in the right path. I tell you, if you're an underliner in the Bible or in your devices, just just highlight the heck out of verse 21. It's one of the most beautiful pictures of Jesus in the Bible to me. This guy comes, and remember, he's missing it. He's not getting it. He's trying to, you know, stay on the line, all that kind of stuff. What does it say in verse 21? Jesus looked at him and what? And loved him. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Before he said anything, before he did anything, before he called him to do anything at all, the first thing he did is he looked at him in love. In this moment, Jesus doesn't condemn him. He doesn't shame him. He doesn't mock him. He doesn't embarrass him. He doesn't call him out yet. He looks at him in love. And here's what's amazing. In his lack, in his missing it moments of life, Jesus' first connection is love. And aren't you glad it is? He gently, so gently redirects him. All right, I'm going to use an image that's a little old, so I'll catch you up on this, all right? I call this his Columbo moment. All right, this show went off the air 20 years ago. It started before my time, too, but it lasted through my time. But here's the thing. Let me catch up on this. There's an old detective show, and the picture just captures it really well on the left because what makes this show is this guy looked like he just rolled out of bed. 
right? His shirt, he wears the same thing all the time, that coat, even if it's 100 degrees. It looks terrible. His hair's all messed up. And he'll come into a crime scene, and he's like all rumpled, and they think he's like not even a cop and all that. And he's forgetting things, doesn't know where his pencil is, all this stuff. And he'll ask questions, and he looks like he's missing everything. Unlike, you know, the twist on this show, unlike the whodunit ones, you know at the beginning of the show who's done it. The point is for him to capture them and get the evidence for it. He knows at the beginning of the show who did it, and then he walks with them through the journey of conversations and questions to get them to a place. And the thing on the right is the moment. It's the Columbo moment. This is what he does. Now, again, you guys probably haven't seen this, but some of you have. You know what he'll say. He'll ask a bunch of questions, and the criminal thinks they're going to get away with it. He's walking away, and he'll do that, and he says this. Anybody know? Say it out loud. What does he say? One more thing. One more thing. And it's that one more thing that captures him. He'll ask one more question, and that's when he's got him. Now, again, he's doing that in a negative way to send him to jail. Listen, Jesus says one more thing. But he's not trying to catch him in a negative way. He's going to try to capture his heart. One more thing. I loved it. I've said this passage for a long time and never noticed until one of the commentators pointed it out. All of the questions Jesus asked on the list, all the list of commands, were pretty much all the commands about how he relates to other people. You know, the Ten Commandments are broken down as the Jesus commands, love God, love people. In fact, if you take uh, where Jesus says, don't defraud anybody, is maybe his paraphrase for uh, don't covet. He lists every command in the Ten Commandments on how we relate to other people. He said, that's all good, great, you answer this question, but hold on, one more thing, there's that pesky first command. <laughs> What's that first command again? What's that first command? Well, there should be no other God's before me. Jesus says there, the problem is you're not just being nice to people and following the rules. I want you to connect to the creator God and there's something in the way for that. And Jesus gently and lovingly redirects him by asking that one more thing question and exposing what the obstacle is to this guy giving his heart fully to Jesus. Now I know it's pretty astounding. He says give all your money away and follow me. He doesn't say that to everybody. In a sense he does. Give it all to me. And I love the way a friend of mine, we went to Nicaragua one time, and we're serving in, in lots of places where people are poor. And my friend put it this way. He said, look, we miss the point of the story if we make it about money. It's not about money. But then I love this line. He said, but it's not not about money. <laughs> it's about money. It's not about money, but it's not not about it. It's about whatever it is that I'm using, listen to me, in my life to fill up that emptiness and that hunger on the inside. And Jesus says, I'm lovingly going to expose that in you so that you can get back to this place of desperate openness for God. He gently and lovingly redirects him in this moment. Wouldn't it be great, the beginning of a new ministry year, just to say, Holy Spirit, would you lovingly and gently point out to me, is there anything blocking my fullest experience of the life of God? He loves you. He'll look at you in love. He's not going to beat you up. He'll look at you in love and guide you out of that. Now, let me warn you, because one of the things you see in the story, sometimes the course corrections of Jesus can be a little bit confusing at first, right? Don't you love this picture? Well, this is the way to get to the Carlton. It's Carlton. It's a wonderful hotel in the middle of nowhere. Jesus will say things that don't make sense at first, and you've got to stay with it and figure it out. Here's what Jesus says in verse 23. How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. That seems really weird, right? Now, again, my, often in my life, I'm going to put that in the category of Elon Musk and those kind of folks. Well, I'm not rich. First of all, 
we're all rich here. You understand that? I mean, you know, the, I don't have to give you the figures. It's not a guilt thing. It's just a reality. In the world, we all have more than we need. So we're rich by a biblical definition term. So this passage applies to us. But even if we didn't have to do that, Jesus comes back in verse 24 and makes it really clear what he says. He doesn't say anything about rich in that one. Listen, go look really closely at verse 24. He said how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. He didn't qualify. How hard it is. And they come to Jesus and they say, well, hold on. Well, who can be saved? Who can get into this God experience and God life? And Jesus in his kindness gives us an image. You've seen the image before, right? <laughs> I wanted one that just kind of made us feel like it must have been when he said it at first. Jesus sometimes will give us things that are intentionally absurd and it's intended to kind of wake us up a little bit and think. Now, I don't know about you. There may be a few people, some of you hopefully haven't heard this, but maybe some of you like me. I grew up in a setting, maybe you heard this too. Has anybody heard about this? Here's what Jesus said. It is easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than it is for a rich man, and if you put verse 24 together with it, any person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, growing up, I heard again and again and again, somebody, people would talk about, well, that's not really what it means. Is there anybody else that heard this before? Has anybody heard what it means? Okay, so I'm not the only one. I've heard people say, what did they say it was? It's a gate going into the city of Jerusalem. That sounds wonderful. In fact, I, would, I heard people preach this and talk about it. So it wasn't, it was impossible. The camel just had to get down and you had to unpack the camel and then kind of shove him through. Basically, they're saying, it's really hard. It's really hard. That's not nice. All right, there's only two problems with that. Problem number one, we have zero historical evidence in the first century of anything like that. Just, that's a little minor problem, right? Even more important, Jesus makes it very clear that's not what he's saying. Because what word does he use in verse 27? Who in the world can enter the kingdom of heaven, Jesus? If this guy can't make it, who can get in? Jesus says with human beings, what does it say in verse 27? It's really hard, and if you try and grit really hard in this sign of the line, you'll make it. Is that what he said? With human beings, it is what? Impossible. Camel for the eye of the needle. We're laughing a little bit and then we're not. Here's what he's trying to say. Listen, he's not saying you're evil and I hate you. God doesn't hate you. He loves you. He looks at you in love. But he's saying, please, my people, get it. There is nothing you can do on your own power, your own resources, to live the life you know you want to live. You can't do it. It is impossible. Can't do it. Here's a way to think about it. I'm borrowing an image from my friend Dave. He told a story in his experience. It reminded me of an experience of my own. So it's my story, but I want to credit Dave for, for getting me to think about this. I graduated college. I was waiting for my sweet bride to become my sweet bride and graduate. And I thought in that year off in between undergraduate and law school, I was going to learn something that I'd never learned before. My father passed away when I was 10. I never learned about cars, never learned how to work on cars. So I thought, I'm going to learn. Now, here's my weirdness. I don't go from like, okay, I want to know a little bit. I'm either all in or all out. And so I'm going to learn about this. And this was my decision. I literally found it. Melody, does that sound, look familiar? The book on the left is literally the book I had and the edition I had. I got auto repair from dummies, and I started reading and studying that's not quite the right edition, but it's Peterson's Basic Auto Repair is one of the editions like that. And I'm telling you, folks, I studied like I was studying for the bar exam. 
I was learning, I was reading, I was taking notes, I'm drawing pictures. I could come, after I did this, I could come and explain to you the entire ignition system in a car. I could explain the process of a combustion engine and how it works and the brake system, all that kind of stuff. And I thought, I'm learning this. I got it all. So then I wanted to actually go practice it. Now, what do you think a wise way to start out your new knowledge would be? Maybe changing the oil? No, I decided to bleed my entire brake system and change the brakes. I remember pretty early on I was trying to do that and I stripped um, uh, the threads on something that was going into the you know, brake assembly there. And I remember, have you ever had a moment like this? Not just talking about brakes. You're sitting there, I got tools everywhere, I got parts everywhere. And I felt completely overwhelmed. I thought, I can't, I can't do this. Have you ever felt like that? You know what changed everything? A good buddy of mine named Rob, he would see it. I, I, my car was on blocks for like two months. And he saw this all the time when he'd come over. And, uh, and he called one time. He said, Dean, I'm going to come over. And he said, um, I'm going to bring my tools. And this is what he said, I'll help you. Do we all know what that means? Do you understand what that means? I'm going to come over, I'm going to bring my tools, I'm going to help you. What is he saying? Okay, I'm going to do this. You can watch. You're going to learn some stuff, but I'm going to get this done, and you can watch. And he rebuilt my brake system and got me back up, and I learned some things in the process too, by the way. But the thing he said, not just with his words, but with his life, with this lineup, he said, he said, I'll stay with you until this thing's fixed. I'm going to stay with you this whole thing's fixed. Do you hear the invitation of Jesus? He didn't say, come, figure it all out, and work really hard, and try to stay on the sideline. No, what did he say? Come and follow me. Come on. In fact, as the song says, he came from heaven to earth to show us the way. And he brought his tools with him, and he brought his life with him, and he said, I got it. Come with me. Jesus is not offering us a religion. He's inviting us into his very life, and we're going to talk for the rest of the semester on how he does that. He said, I'm going to stay with you until this whole mess is done. Your life, the broken world, all of it. Can I say it this way too? He didn't come to just give you a book. I'm all about this. I stand in honor of it. But Jesus didn't say, here's a book. Go read it, figure it out, and see how you do. And by the way, try really hard to stay on the side of the line. He said, no, I'll give you the book, but I'm going to give you me. I'm going to show you every step of the way. How to live this thing out. Staggering, isn't it? That's why when we say find hope, live with purpose, we're talking about the mission of Jesus to be disciples who make disciples. doesn't mean we've got anything all together. It just means we're together walking with this guy. Follow Jesus into his life. And he gives this incredible promise, by the way. You're not just not alone with Jesus. Look, in verse 30 and all that, you'll see, they said, we've left all this stuff. He said, great, you're going to get a hundred times. The things that you think you let go of, and I'm going to fill you with a community of people that help you to walk this thing out. I want you to think about this. Every week that we gather here, we are invited to hear again and again and again the invitation of Jesus. Every week. We get to hear him say again 
and again. Come into my life, follow me. And the cool thing is we don't just hear it for ourselves. We get to become a community that extends that invitation again and again to other people as well. I'm here because the Spirit of God did that through a church community a long time ago. I've referred to it before. I'm giving you the full story now. Because Jesus spoke to me. He spoke to me after that first two months of my college life. He spoke to me through, first of all, a friend that I had known for a long time but I hadn't seen in a long time. And then he spoke to me through a total stranger. Friend was when I moved in, we were in the dorm that was there. And, and listen, by coincidence, happened to be living almost right next door to a guy that I grew up with. His father and my father went to that same university together. And just by coincidence, we didn't know, I had no idea, I hadn't talked to him in in several years, but just by coincidence, we ended up on the same hall in this big old university. He knew me the way I used to be, and he saw what I was doing then. And I'll never forget a day, it was Thursday, it wasn't even Friday, it was Thursday. And we were partying on the hall, and I was partying too. And I remember standing in his room, his name's Rick. And Rick looked at me and he said something that was the voice of God speaking to me. The first part of what he said is not true, but it was the second part that got me. He said, Dean, I want you to know, I knew the way, I knew your family, I knew all this stuff. And he said, growing up, you were the closest thing to Jesus Christ I ever knew. Now listen to me, that's not true. He just saw the outside, he saw the religious thing. That wasn't the kicker. He said, growing up, you were the closest thing, you represented Jesus to me. And he said, now look at you. Now look at you. He wasn't saying it meanly. He was saying it in love. I knew the person you were, and this is not who you are. And that conviction got to me, the love, the loving redirection there. And just by coincidence, the next day happened to be when I got a phone call from the campus ministry. It was a guy named Dan Austin, who probably to this day, I've never told him this, although I've shared my testimony before, I've never told him this, but I was on a thing they had called a phone tree. So this is before you social media and all that kind of stuff. Although they were personal. It was a smaller ministry. They were very personal. And so they wanted to do this anyway. But they broke up the group into a phone tree. And they especially would, re- they would reach out and personally invite people. It was kind of like sore leaders. This guy was a senior. He was the president of our student organization. He was a leader in Christ. And he wanted to make sure that all the freshmen at least had an opportunity to be invited. And he called me again and again. I mean months. I told you before. Now he's the guy. I'm blowing him off. I'm making stupid statements or just ignoring it. And it just so happens on that same moment with the conviction of Jesus, he calls me and he says, hey, would you like to come to a devotion? I said, yeah, I think I would. I bet you he was going to drop the phone on the other line. I said, I'd love to go. I'd love to bring this, uh, this lady I've been dating. Her name's Melanie. Can she come too? He did. I remember one of the first ones we came to, we were sitting around a campfire. It's an old song, but I remember him singing this song, Light the Fire. There was a line in there. It said, Lord, you know where I've been. Light the fire in my heart again. And here's what I love. Every person in that circle, including the campus minister, also knew exactly where I'd been and what I've been doing for the last two months. By the way, a little humor moment. They blamed her. They thought she was the evil one pulling me away from Jesus. She was the sane one. (laughs) I was the crazy one. They all knew where I'd been. Not one of them judged me. Not one of them said anything negative to me. Every single one of them said, you are welcome in this circle. 
And do you know what I heard from their lives? Jesus say to me. You know what I heard Jesus say, right? Even though you cross the line, you can always come back. You can always come back. And I think how in the world is that possible that you can not just take me back, but you can train me. When I've fallen again, that's not even the worst running away from God I've done in my life. And he keeps taking us back. How can you do that? And you know what Jesus says? Well, I can explain it all to you, but I'd rather you just come and see. Rather you just come and see. And let's do this thing together. And Father God, that's our absolute prayer as a community here. We want to be that circle that continually opens our arms to other people, that says we don't have it all together and we've all fallen all over the lines and yet we want to follow your son Jesus. We want to receive the power of your Holy Spirit to actually grow up in the lives you invite us to live. And I thank you, I suspect as I share my story, Jesus, I can't imagine how many Dan Austins are, are, are the people like that for the people in this room. Let us be that. Let us be the hands and the feet of your son Jesus, first to receive the invitation he gives us, but then to extend that invitation to others. We love you, Jesus.